You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. Hosted by Martin Popplewell, brought to you by The Retail Exchange, in association with Visual Thinking, inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm Martin Popplewell, and welcome to the latest in the interview series of the Retail Exchange podcast. I'm delighted to join the Retail Exchange team as we bring you insight and opinion from senior industry professionals and thought leaders. Our guests for my first ever episode of the interview are from the cycle clothing brand Rafa. Cycling has gone through what can only be described as a revolution over the last 10 years, a trend that has seen Rafa quickly grow to be a truly international brand. Today, it operates in 30 locations around the world. With me to share the story of Rafa and discuss the growing love of all things two-wheeled is Caroline Crosswell, the brand's Director of Retail Operations and Development, and Darren Reed, Head of Retail. Caroline, Darren, welcome. Darren, first of all, for people that are not familiar with the brand, tell us its story. So Rafa is uh, primarily a, a premium cycling apparel retailer and lifestyle retailer. Um, we have a wide range of products, services, events, clubhouses, our stores, uh, all designed to enable our customers to get the most out of their cycling experience. Um, it's founded back in 2004 by a gentleman by the name of Simon Mottram, who's currently still our CEO. Uh, he, before starting Rafa, he'd been a luxury retail consultant for a number of different brands for a few years before deciding there was a big gap in the cycling market. Um, he was and is uh, currently a, a very avid cyclist, as you might expect, and he's absolutely obsessed with the sport of road cycling and the history of it. And back in 2004, although he liked what he was finding in a technical sense, he, he felt there was a big gap between the product he was buying, the clothing he was wearing, and the sport that he loved. And the spark came from that. Um, so over the last 15 years, we've grown to uh, a direct-to-consumer business. We're 70% online, 30% in-store, currently no wholesale. Caroline, whereabouts can we find you on the high street um, and, and in which countries? Is it just in the UK or are you... No, going? we're in uh, 11 countries with a bricks and mortar clubhouse. Um, we call them clubhouses, not stores, because they're far more than a retail environment. They're far more about feeding the community and being part of that community, especially within cycling. And we're not, um, I would say, dismissive of any types of cycling. We try to be inclusive with the whole community of cycling, which really believe in kind of driving cycling um, as the most popular sport in the world. And that's our mission statement. And it's a lofty one, um, but it's one that the whole teams know across the world. Um, So we have a very diverse portfolio of retail stores. As I say, 11 countries, but it's one in Australia, one in Taiwan, two in Japan, one in Germany. We have quite a few in the States, actually, eight. Um, We have quite a few, you know, we've got Amsterdam, Copenhagen. So we have a very diverse retail strategy trying to touch on, I suppose, building breadth rather than depth. Uh, from a kind of commercial point of view, would have been far easier to build depth. We've got some very strong markets where it would be very easy, for example, in Germany, where we're very successful to open five clubhouses um, and really build that market there. But we believe very much more in building kind of the notion of the, the interest in the sport and the community. So we, that's why we've kind of gone one, 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 one across many countries. We've um, been very successful. And then we've opened some that are very niche. So Mallorca, for example, opened a couple of years ago, super successful club, 
taking advantage of the winter professional kind of cycling Everyone's community. Everyone's going cycling to Mallorca. Well, it seems lots of my friends are. Yes. Why is that? Uh, it's quite challenging, cycling. <laughs> taking because of the mountains on, yes. on, on the east. It's yeah. just perfect. If you imagine yes. all the best cycling roads in the world, that Mallorca's been like almost custom made for that. And they've built all the, the motorways in Mallorca. No one drives in the mountains anymore. So it's just free, free for all for cyclists, really. It's incredible. Is it just the clothing and the stuff that you put on, or do you sell bikes as well? We don't sell bikes. Okay, no. that's interesting. No. We but have I, collaborations. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the lifestyle pieces, uh, we do a, a, lots of off-bike pieces, so more city, we call it a city collection, it's more kind of fashionable, like what I'm wearing right now. I know you can't see that on the podcast, but you know, it gives you an idea of what... Describe what, what, you, what you're wearing now. So, you know, uh, white shirt... Uh, merino jumper and but it's all designed for people who commute so merino jumper it's high merino fast, is a type of wool it's type I of wool that's correct from the day when i used to go skiing but so it's a uh, fast drying antibacterial you know so it keeps me cold when i'm hot and hot you can arrive in the office having cycled there without smelling a bit and, and looking great Exactly. <laughs> and like kind of and you do look very smart. Thank you very I mean, much. I appreciate like, that. But looking at you, I would not be looking at what you're wearing and thinking he's that's a cycling yeah, outfit. But exactly. what you're saying is it's been designed so that you can go into meetings and do a sales pitch to your clients or whoever you, whatever you're doing. Yeah. And, and actually you should be wearing the stuff that you, you came in. It doesn't scream me I'm a cyclist. Yeah. It doesn't. It is not lycra. No. Uh, and you're not wearing lycra shorts. Yeah, but, I'm definitely uh, not. Um not today anyway. Um and like Karen, I mentioned collaboration. So we've we've done a, a load of collaboration in the past uh, previously with people like Bang & Olsen we've made headphones we've made a coffee machine last year we collaborated with Apple making exclusive set of luxury for those guys um, let's go back to the brand it's changed the way that people view cycling bikes and cycling used to be I would say for kids because they didn't have a car obviously they couldn't legally have one or if you you know as an adult perhaps didn't have uh, a car it's completely changed in terms of the way that people perceive that. How and why did that happen? And, and, and when did that start happening? That's a really good question. I think it's, it's because the, what, we're, what we're great at, and I think what we've really leveraged is the story and the history of road cycling. The history of road cycling is absolutely fascinating. The amount of stories, the individuals, it's really aspirational as well as inspirational. Is it the Tour de France? Because somehow that ca- has come up in my consciousness. Yeah. I'm not a big cyclist, I must confess. Yeah. I, I love the idea, but I'm too scared of the roads, yeah. uh, certainly in London. But um, when I think about cycling and the way that it's been perceived, the Tour de France yeah. has, has been key. It's, it's played a massive part in it. And, and I mean, cycling has gone through what can only be described as a revolution, I'd say, over the last 10 years, particularly in the UK. You know, and it's definitely due to the Tour de France victories. I mean, we've had three Tour de France winners come from from this country and that's unbelievable like 10 years ago you wouldn't even be able to imagine that Team GB at the Olympics people are into cycling they're interested in cycling and it's very accessible now as well that's the thing and, and, and it's getting safer I would say you know is there anything else? But it can't just be the Tour de France. Is it, is it part of that general thing that we all want to be fitter and it's a great way to put some exercise in by cycling to work or, or whatever or going on a holiday and cycling? I mean, I guess, uh, you know, cycling is one of those emotional connectors really from a child, isn't it? That, that moment of taking the stabilisers off, watching your child uh, or you as, your, <laughs> as a child, you know, go forth. Um, it's a big part of growing up and I would say that's really at the heart of probably most families um, would would have their child just as you learn to swim you learn to, to ride a bike as well so I think it starts very early that kind of connection to the sport it probably disappears 
completely. I think you can go through definitely phases. Um, but I think, as you say, it's always there. It's Tour de France is a very, you know, everyone knows that. Everyone watches that. It's a bit like, you know, you might love tennis. You might only watch Wimbledon, but everyone watches, you know, parts of the Tour de France. So I think there's an absolute connection with, with the Grand Tours generally. And I think the, the 2012 Olympics was a really big defining moment for us as well. And we can see that kind of our growth was super significant from that point forward. I mean, we've been very lucky as a brand, you know, growing 30 to 40%, you know, in those years, um, year on year. So I think it's it's various milestones, um, but it is always at the heart of everything yeah. that you've done as a child, I think. So there is always this connection. I, I was not a cyclist either, particularly. I learned to ride a bike, did a bit poodling around, but actually joining Rafa, interestingly enough, when you're actually on the bike, it's quite, it's quite amazing. You know, that just connection with where you are and the smells and the, all of those things you experience. So, you know, we're trying to obviously encourage that back, sense of community and family, um, trying to get lots of women into cycling as well. So, yeah. One of the key things about your brand is the Rafa Cycling Club. So for people that don't know what that is... Tell us what it is and why it matters. It's the largest cycling club in the world. So we've currently got 13,000 members in 26, 28 different chapters all over the world. So a chapter being London, for example. So all, all the members that live within the London, so if you imagine London, 50 miles of it, that live in that area, that would form the London chapter. And we've got over 2,000 members in London, for example. Um, and what we do is we connect like-minded people. If you're a, a Rafa customer into cycling, chances are there's many people like you within your local area and the RCC the Rafa Cycling Club is designed to bring those people together so to share experiences build community go for rides come to events but obviously we there's a commercial aspect to that as well we have exclusive kit we have money can't buy kind of experiences for these people we do trips with famous cyclists and we do events with famous cyclists and as I'm hearing you talking about this what I'm thinking is that this all feeds into that bigger broader picture in retail which is it's no good just having a store where you can go and buy the stuff. It's about the experience. It's about sort of a sense of belonging. Uh, and, and you're you're nodding. Mm. It's, it's all about that. Well, I think I think that's part of the excitement of me joining Rafa. You know, it's one of the big draws on the concept because not only have you got the cycling club, you've got yes, you've got the product, you've got the cafe, the community, the events, the social hub, the club. So there's so many things that you're getting out of you know, a 200 square metre space for the most part, or even smaller in some of our some of our stores, that's a lot packed into one. And I think lots of brands have, you know, tried to add a cafe and thinking that's an experience into their spaces. You know, that's not really, that doesn't mean anything to a customer. I think that's absolutely a given in these days that you would get a cup of coffee or a glass of champagne or whatever in that, in that experience just for free, let alone, you know, have a cafe. It doesn't add the experience. And I think that's where... Rafa's absolutely nailed the kind of retail concept to make it really interesting. You know, it's it's a daily challenge. I'm not going to say it's easy. You know, uh, running the cycling club, making sure it's, you know, exciting, it moves on, it evolves, it meets the needs of customers. It's a lot of work. Um, you know, running a cafe, also huge amount of work. <laughs> and, and you're totally right, right? Like having a, a shop and expecting people to come isn't enough anymore. And, and the RCC isn't exclusively our community either. They're, they're, a, they're a relatively small percentage. The clubhouses and Rafa is, is for every cyclist, but the RCC just represents probably our most engaged group of cyclists, I would say. Is there a problem with the pastime sport being perceived as being a little bit elitist and 
maybe you have to be super fit to be able to do it. You know, I'm thinking of the friends that do do it. They are super fit yeah. uh, and they cycle very fast. I mean, is, is that something which is makes it less inclusive? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a sport and a hobby that keeps you very honest. You don't get very far without putting in a lot of work, I would say. And everyone knows, every cyclist knows the commitment required to simply just get better. And as you get better, I think that's when you unlock more fun. You, you enjoy it more because you're able to go further, faster, keep up with different people, meet new people and see amazing places. And I think that's what is so magical about cycling. It just unlocks these places for you, like places that you wouldn't see if you walked, you wouldn't probably go far enough, or if you were in a car, because you'd be going too fast. Okay, I'm going to be very old-fashioned here, but when I think of retail in the past, uh, you, the people that you could get into to sell the stuff, they could be anybody. But I'm guessing for you, you can't just hire anybody to work in your clubhouses, as you, you call your stores. You need cycling enthusiasts. Uh, you need people that are really into the stuff. That must provide quite a challenge for for finding the right people and finding the right fit. It definitely helps, I would say. But then we're not exclusively just hiring cyclists. What We see that as an amazing opportunity for us to educate our own staff on cycling. And, and we, we hire people who aren't primarily cyclists at the moment but the key thing is, is that they have an interest in cycling and they're willing to learn and they want to learn because if, if we can't get our own staff excited and out on bikes then it's very difficult to do that with customers as isn't, well. isn't there a problem though that you, you might have someone who's a really enthusiastic cyclist but they're really lousy at retail yeah i mean we we've been through an absolute evolution of that with with our retail team especially as you know we we look after probably 60 percent of the, the all the employees at rafa and and i think that's you know, we've had to go through that change. We, we firstly definitely at the beginning employed uh, teams who love to bike. That doesn't make them great at service. It doesn't make them great at selling. doesn't make them great baristas, all of those things. So I think we've, we've definitely rebalanced that um, to a certain extent across our stores. I don't think you need to, you don't need to be a super great cyclist to be able to, to believe in what we do and what we, what we offer. I think we need those technical experts, for sure. We need those. But it's absolutely fine to what we're doing now with is, is really sending, I suppose, a sales associate on a journey to take the customers through that journey. If you've got a very engaged cyclist, he's not going to be interested to speak to you if you don't know what you're talking about. So we can pass. You know, we definitely have a seamless kind of passing of customers depending on their ability, depending on the, the technical ability of the teams. Yeah, and going back to what Caroline said before, I mean, our goal is to make cycling the most popular sport in the world. And we wouldn't be able to achieve that if we only had super strong hitter cyclists that could only speak to each other we, we just wouldn't appeal to the, the broader market so everyone kind of goes on a similar journey when they start cycling and we like to have people in the team at different points of that journey so when you're talking to them you have credibility and you really understand what that person's going through whether it's their first time on a bike or their hundredth time on a bike you mentioned earlier that you've got uh, a, n a number of operations in different countries how much do you localize i mean if i go into to one in one country does it look much the same is the, the is the sort of is it a very similar experience or is it very different the spaces you mean the physical spaces, spaces and i suppose every aspect of how you operate in those countries i mean the physical spaces i would say we try to it's the communities at the heart the spaces are incredibly different uh, if you look at the sort of portfolio of clubhouses we have, they are generally off pitch. We, we don't often, we never put them in malls. We don't put them on the high street for the most part. Uh, they're all normally off pitch, but in key areas where perhaps our customers socialise or work, either one. 
Um, but they are very different in look and feel. However, we're really mindful of bringing something that's locally relevant. It's something that we've learnt. It's not something we started with, I would say. We've definitely really learnt that uh, over the last three, four years where... There's no point having a, you know, a range of mountains of Switzerland in our club in Tokyo. It's not, what does that mean to anyone? So we, you know, we adapt to the imagery, we adapt the materials, for example, that we use in the clubhouses to local materials. Um, there's a really nice story that we use the woods of the local, you know, wood, woods or pallets of, and things into the concept that's relevant to that market. So yes, we do localise, uh, especially in the clubhouses, I would say. Yeah. Let's look to the sort of the future as it were retail has its problems at the moment what keeps you working in retail when we are hearing so much doom and gloom about the sector i mean it's for me it's definitely the community i think that's the thing and it's going back to what we said you know you can't just have a shop and expect people to buy you need to offer something different give them a reason to come and visit you and i think that's what we are doing to the best of our capability we 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 try to inspire people to ride their bikes and get excited about cycling. So if you go to a clubhouse now, towards the end of the day, it'll be really full of people. It will feel electric, it'll be alive, because everyone will be watching the last 20 kilometres of the stage on the TV. And we'll be getting really excited about that. And, and that's such an exciting thing to be involved in. And I think, obviously, we need to pay the bills. And I think, but getting that footfall through the door, getting them excited, getting them talking about cycling, the, the selling comes later, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that we're not just all about, we're not about making money. You know, it, it's our customers come in for a coffee in the morning, the beginning of a ride, at the end of the ride, as Darren says, to, to watch a race. They're not, they're not selling moments for us. Um, but when they come into shop, we service them in, in the right way. We don't serve anything whilst there's the last stage of a race, for example, if it's the last five kilometres, we don't serve, you know, it's all about watching the live race. So I think, you know, we we take those customers on a journey, but it's not just one journey, it's all those journeys. And we have a lot of customers that come in every week to our clubhouses, you know, so it's not about hard sell every time, it's about one moment it might be an event, it's a social, it's a race, one time it might be about new bib shorts, etc. If you're going to be giving somebody who's doing a similar role or aspiring to do a similar role to to you, um, what would be your professional advice to them? What are the th key things that they need to be thinking about and focusing on? I think per perseverance is a big one. Um, resilience and, you know, stay true to what you believe in. I think, you know, leadership, people are your absolute, is the only thing that's important. So if you don't, we don't inspire our teams on the ground, they won't inspire our customers. So you've got to balance all of those things. And I think if you don't start at that, yep. then you're probably going to fail. Obviously, there's some tactical, technical skills of understanding kind of the, the mechanics of running a retail business. But, you know, we don't, for example, measure any of our managers on revenue which is really unusual um, for a retailer. We, we look at far different, you know, we look at lots of different KPIs. So there's some really different things that we do, I would say. So I don't think it's about following this kind of retail mindset of KPIs, what's your footfall, what's your conversion? What's that? It's not just about that. Um, it's about the membership. It's about the engagement, how many people came to the events, how many people went on rides. There's lots of different things that we kind of factor in. Yeah. 
for, I mean, for me, yeah, just follow it. It's, it's definitely people. I think you need to have the right people. And it's not the same person in, in each market as well. We, For example, in our store in Copenhagen, we've got the, the perfect guy leading that clubhouse who's connected to the market, the ultimate maitre d'. Like, you couldn't think of anyone better. And we have that. We're really lucky in lots of our instances. And we've made the right decision because we've taken our time as well. That's the thing. Don't rush into hiring the wrong people. In a couple of words, what's next for you? personally, in terms of retail ambition? Uh, I, I think... Uh, staying at Rafa, <laughs> <Yeah>. obviously, <laughs> clearly. Uh. I thought I'd catch you out there and get you to say you're going to be moving to one of the competitors. Yeah. <laughs> I have to try. <laughs> I mean, we, we've just started, we're just about to embark on a new, a new baby. We've got a new baby, which we're going to start wholesaling in a very strategic way. So we'll Is that top secret? Can you tell us any more or do you have to no, shoot we, me? No, we can say that. We can say that. Um, so it's really, really in its infancy. We've, we're at the, really at the beginning of that journey. But that's about being able to leverage, I suppose, just in the way we, we've brought depth with the clubhouses, that's about bringing sort of ambassadors in different countries where we're not present to, to bring them and engage with the sport. So we think that wholesale, uh, which is... A challenging path for some, but I think will work very well for us where we can, you know, we can work with someone who's got a cafe with a cycling club in Barcelona that we're not in Barcelona today. Why wouldn't we we work with those ambassadors for the sport? So we're, we're branching out on that. We're in, as I say, total infancy. But that's, I suppose, our, our new exciting challenge ahead for the next uh, couple of years, um, as well as, you know, obviously fine tuning in evolving the customer journey because you can't sit still in retail. Um, there'll be people doing things better than we are in many different disciplines, but I think it's going to be hard to build that community, which we have. We're very lucky to have that, but we've got to keep hold of it. Um, that's not easy. It's been a pleasure speaking to you both. Darren Reed, Caroline Crosswell, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. This episode is brought to you by Retail Transformation Agency Visual Thinking. Thanks for listening. <laughs>